three days ago, FedEx reported earnings and they weren't good. Their earnings weren't good at all. In fact, they had a terrible quarter and their forecast was even worse. The company issuing that warning saying it's facing a soft macro environment when it comes to all of its businesses, including its signature air delivery business, had a miss on revenue and even bigger miss in the EPS. Obviously, that pressure the stock. FedEx missed on both their earnings and their revenue, and they missed by a wide margin. Now, this big miss caused the stock to drop 22% in a single day. This is one of the biggest drops in FedEx's entire history. Now, of course, I don't personally own any FedEx stocks, so why am I concerned about this company or their performance? The reason that investors care about FedEx, even when they don't own the stock, is because FedEx is considered to be a barometer for the economy, emblematic of our economic outlook overall. And the big problem with the recent earnings report wasn't the previous quarter, it was their guidance. But it's really the forward guidance, that EPS guidance that's hitting this stock. Take a look at the numbers. You can see here, you don't need to be a mathematician to figure this out. FedEx guiding about half of what the street's looking for. It's also withdrawing its fiscal 2023 guidance and revising its CapEx lower, saying it expects business conditions to weaken into Q2. The guidance that FedEx gave was terrible. And then to add insult to injury, on the earnings call, the CEO of FedEx said, quote, global volumes declined as macroeconomic trends significantly worsen later in the quarter. Volumes declining, operating expenses remained high relative to demand. If FedEx is a barometer of the greater economy, right now FedEx is telling us it's not going in a good direction. Now, of course, when we look at our portfolio, I don't like to base any decisions off of one piece of news from one company. Because even though FedEx is a big company, there's still one company that has their unique challenges and unique circumstances. Maybe FedEx isn't a barometer of the overall economy. Maybe they're just being beat by Amazon. There's a lot of data that shows that Amazon Logistics has actually raced ahead of FedEx in recent years. So maybe this isn't such a glaring problem. Well, even if that's the case, I still unfortunately have some bad news to share. And the bad news this time comes from this guy. His name is Greg. Greg's a pretty smart guy, and he works for a firm called Bridgewater. It's a really big one. Greg joined the firm in 1996 after graduating from Dartmouth College with a degree in economics and applied mathematics. He's one of the chief investment officers there, meaning that he oversees Bridgewater's investment strategies and their research efforts. In fact, Greg is one of the main guys there, pulling the levers at Bridgewater. He oversees the systemization of Bridgewater's research into trading strategies, manages and develops their proprietary investment management models, directs the design and implementation of clients' investment strategies. Greg is one of the most important people in this firm, determining what type of investments they make and what their portfolio structure looks like. And he does this with the help of a lot of data and a lot of research. Now, unfortunately for us, Greg does not have a rosy view of the future in the stock market. In fact, quite the opposite. Greg strongly believes the market's going to go down and he gave us insight into why. In a recent interview in Bloomberg, Greg listed off where investors have this wrong, where they're actually viewing the economic data wrong, and why he believes the market's going to fall an additional 25%, in addition to what it's already fallen so far year to date. He thinks it has another 25% to go because of these five different reasons. The longer term, drying up of liquidity due to the quantitative tightening. The first thing that he lists off as a catalyst downward is the drying up of liquidity due to quantitative tightening. When this line goes up, the Fed is doing quantitative easing. They're buying assets. This has the effect of pushing up asset prices. It adds liquidity to the market. It makes it so that the markets function smoothly. And the Fed has been doing quantitative easing since before 2007. And when the Fed did as much quantitative easing as possible. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. 
behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The returns in the market were pretty substantial. The market seemed to only go upwards for the previous 10 years. And during 2020, to save the markets, the Fed did a lot of quantitative easing. They continued to do this throughout 2021, which also had the effect of putting upward pressure on asset prices. But if we zoom in at the tail end here, you can see that the Fed is starting to reverse course, which is called quantitative tightening. And as Greg notes, if the Fed sells assets back into the market, it lowers the amount of liquidity. And he mentions that liquidity drying up is one of the catalysts for the market to go down. So just to keep track here, we have reason one for the market dropping 25%, drying up of liquidity due to quantitative tightening. Now, this next point that Greg brings up is one that I think a lot of investors would have argued with just a week ago. But after some recent data, this looks like it may be coming true. The reality that starts to set in that inflation is more stubborn. Number two is reality sets in that inflation is more stubborn, at least more stubborn than what most investors were expecting. Greg actually gave this interview before the most recent CPI report, so he didn't have the hindsight advantage of knowing what the number was going to be. And so far, it looks like his prediction that inflation's being more stubborn seems to be true. The AP reports that U.S. inflation still stubbornly high despite the August slowdown. They actually use the exact same word he used in the interview. CNBC says that inflation isn't just about fuel costs anymore, as price increases broaden across the economy. Inflation is no longer a transitory passing trend. It's becoming structural to the U.S. economy. And now we see that reality setting in. Investors are taking a step back and saying, maybe inflation is going to be around a little bit longer than expected. Now, if inflation does stay stubborn for longer than expected, that does have an impact on the Fed's actions, as Greg outlines here. The Fed tightens longer, that the expected easing in six to nine months doesn't materialize. The Fed will have to tighten longer to combat the stubborn inflation. Greg mentions that investors are basically pricing in right now, that the Fed is only going to be tightening for six to eight months, and then they'll have inflation under control, and then the Fed will do a pivot. They'll be able to lower interest rates and the stock market will soar. But Greg here says that's not likely. Investors are going to eventually have to price in bigger interest rate hikes from the Fed and more quantitative tightening. And we actually see recent news that investors are starting to do this. Traders start to consider even bigger Fed rate hikes after hot CPI. Before the August inflation data, investors were pricing in around a 50 basis point hike. Now with this hot inflation data, investors are fully expecting a 75 basis point hike again. The Fed is going to be pressured into continually raising interest rates higher than expected. Right now, investors know that the Fed has to raise interest rates higher than expected, but many of them are still pricing in that inflation will be under control in six to nine months, and then the Fed will be able to lower interest rates. If this materializes, if the Fed tightens longer than expected and that six to nine month window gets pushed back, that'll have a downward effect on the stock market. Now, simultaneously, while we have the Fed working against us and we're having to deal with interest rates, Greg highlights yet another problem 
for the economy. And at the same time, profits and economic growth are weaker than people expect is going to make this a tough road, uh, tough road for assets. Profits and economic growth are going to be weaker than what investors are expecting and what they're pricing in. There have been some companies that had strong earnings last season, but we're starting to see more and more companies' earnings like FedEx's, ones that warn of a global recession, cutting their sales forecasts by half a billion dollars. These are huge revision downwards in very large U.S. corporations. And we're starting to see this happen more and more frequently. Microsoft, for example, which is considered to be one of the most predictable companies, has a lot of earnings revisions downwards. Their estimates are moving down, they're not moving up. We have a lot of other companies we could look at, consumer goods companies like Church and Dwight. 19 revisions downwards, zero revisions upwards. And that's not good news for the U.S. economy, considering this is a consumer good company. Media companies like Google have earnings revisions downwards, not many upwards. There are some companies that are bucking the trend like Costco, which have more upward revisions than downwards. They have their earnings report coming out soon, so we'll see what really happens. But overall, the trend is that most companies are getting their earnings revised lower. And we can see this trend show up in the data. In 2021, with all the stimulus, With all the fiscal and monetary policy that was accommodative of the markets and the economy, earnings revisions exploded upwards. Anybody that invested in almost any company during that time period ended up making money because of monetary policy. Now we're seeing the Fed turn against the market, and in aggregate, earnings revisions are actually in the red in August. More of them have moved down than up by a large margin. This is something that's happening across the entire S&P 500. Company after company are missing their earnings and getting their earnings revised lower. With profit and growth estimates getting revised downward for companies across the board, that's very problematic for the stock market because most investors use earnings as a guide for valuation. That's what the whole P-E ratio, the price to earnings, is based off of. So if companies guide down their future expected earnings, it makes every single company in the stock market look more expensive on a Ford P.E. basis. And that leads to these companies getting sold off. And it's very difficult for the stock market to really move up meaningfully when profits and growth estimates are moving down. Now, I know what you're thinking. At this point in the video, you're probably thinking that this doesn't sound good. This is a lot of doom and gloom. Well, I can't say I didn't warn you. I said in this video that I had some bad news. So this is the bad news that I have to share. And again, unfortunately, it doesn't end here. The last point that Greg brings up is probably the most significant one and the one that's most likely to cause a sell-off in the stock market. You see, having bad news ahead isn't necessarily a good or bad thing for the stock market. It all depends on whether or not that bad news is priced in. If the market knows that there's bad news ahead, if they anticipate something to happen, that will almost immediately be priced in. The problem for us investors is that Greg does not believe this bad news is currently priced in, and he thinks it will become priced in over time by a culmination of these events. Essentially, if you take the last decade, The reverse of these policies led to the situation where financial assets rallied so much more than the cash flows in the economy do. Generally, over very long periods of time, those things are aligned. The cash flows in the economy have to pay for the asset prices. We've gotten to such an extreme on that. While this year has started to reverse that, we're still something like 25, 30 percent above the normal relationship between cash flows and asset prices, which means there's a significant decline to come to kind of align the real economy with the financial economy. He says that cash flows, the actual cash flows of the economy and asset prices are unaligned. 
How unaligned are they? Around 25 to 30%. Now I know during a market sell-off, you want a hair to buy the dip. The market's already down 19.5% year to date. The QQQ is actually down more than the S&P 500. And even after this decline, Greg believes we have another 25% to go. He believes that the market price will return back down to around 2018 to 2019 levels. Now I tried to validate Greg's view here and look at current asset prices and see if they're really so unaligned. I looked up different graphs from FactSet and other reliable sources of the P.E. ratio of the S&P 500 over the past 10 to 15 years. Here's one of the charts showing where the P.E. ratio stands right now. The Ford P.E. for the S&P 500 is 16.6. It doesn't seem like it's on the extreme high. In late 2020 and 2021, it seemed like an extreme high, but it doesn't seem that way now. The line drawn through this graph at 16.6, that dotted line illustrates that the S&P 500 is basically trading where it was since 2014 to 2019. So you can look at this and conclude that maybe Greg is wrong here. Maybe asset prices aren't that dislocated. But one thing to keep in mind is that during the past 10 years, from 2014 to 2019, the Fed was working with the markets. We had quantitative easing with record low interest rates. And the economy wasn't dealing with deglobalization, high inflation, and a rapid slowdown in earnings estimates. Even though valuations for the S&P 500 looked similar, the overall economic condition looked entirely different. So there we have it. This is the bad news. This is the argument for the 25% drop in the market. The Fed is now doing quantitative tightening, which dries up liquidity. Reality is setting in that inflation may be more stubborn than expected, causing the Fed to tighten, do quantitative tightening, and raise interest rates longer than expected, and that so-called pivot that investors are pricing in in six to nine months may not materialize. Profits and growth estimates are getting revised downwards across the board in the S&P 500, and cash flows and valuations are currently out of sync, especially when you factor in weakness in the economy. Overall, I think that Greg makes a pretty convincing bear argument. I think there is some logic and a lot of data behind what he's saying here. But the big question is, what do we do? I'm sitting here with my dividend growth portfolio. I'm invested in a diversified group of companies. And I actually agree with a lot of the things that Greg is saying. I have a lot of money invested and I'm concerned that the market may drop another 20 to 25%. So what do we do in this situation? Well, we have a few options to consider. The first thing that we need to consider is that Greg could be wrong. Sure, he's a smart guy and he has a lot of data. I think the arguments that he makes are logical. They make sense. I think there's a good chance he's correct but he can always be wrong. He can't see the future. He doesn't ultimately know exactly what direction the market's going to trade. All of this is based off of a list of assumptions. So with the chance of Greg being wrong, I think it's difficult to say, let's sell out of the stock market and hope that he's correct. Because even if there's a 10% chance that he's wrong, that's a very dangerous thing to have happen. If you sell out completely and he's wrong and the market goes up 20%, because the Fed manages a soft landing, that puts you in a very difficult situation. So I think it's actually a bad strategy to buy in or sell out of the market based on macroeconomic predictions, because after all, they are very difficult to predict. But I do think there's still a chance that Greg is mostly correct on his assumptions, and that does make me consider different investments. If you think that the economy is going to go through a rough time, and we're going to have an economic slowdown, some companies naturally do better in 
economic slowdowns than others. And some companies do better in high interest rate environments and high inflation environments than others. Costco and other consumer staple companies like Pepsi do really well in these type of environments. They hold up better than most companies. In fact, I think if Greg is correct, the type of companies that will do really well in this environment are the ones that are in SCHD. I think there's a high likelihood that this ETF will outperform over the next two years if we do get that sell-off. If the market does move down, I think that these type of high cash flow dividend paying companies, they'll hold up a lot better than the rest of the market. I think the ones that will struggle the most are the ones that have already struggled the most this year. The ARK Innovation ETF, full of companies that have their cash flows way out in the future and the discount rate being applied to them gets higher and higher with interest rates moving up. Another way of phrasing this is the type of companies in the ARK Innovation ETF are more well suited for a very specific and catered fiscal and economic environment. One of low interest rates, one of lots of liquidity with the Fed doing quantitative easing and one with low inflation. In this type of environment, all the same catalysts that caused this ETF to move upwards dramatically over the past five years are now working against it. And I think that will continue as long as interest rates remain high. So you can gear your investments based on what you think the economic outlook will look like. If you think we're going to go through a slowdown in the economy and high interest rates, it's probably better to be a bit more conservative and focus on high cash flow companies. If you think the Fed is going to land a soft landing and the economy is going to take off, then you probably should invest in more aggressive growth-centered companies. It all comes down to what economic landscape you think. Either way, in the short term, macroeconomics are going to drive the direction of the stock market. Now, the last approach I'll mention, and I think what is probably the best option, is depending on your age. If you're young meaning you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, and you're 10 plus years away from retirement, instead of being concerned about this news, you should be excited about it. This will give you an opportunity to buy into these cash flowing companies at reduced prices. The best time to buy over the past 20 years was precisely when the economy seemed like it was worst off. In February of 2009, the investors that were able to keep control over their emotions and remain logical and consistent with their investing approach, they had huge returns after that. Once the economy started to recover and the Fed eventually turned back to accommodative policy, the market raced up over 400%. And that's the approach that I'm taking. If I look at my portfolio overall, I like knowing what direction I think it's going to go because I like having that data and background, but ultimately I look at this as an opportunity. If we go down another 25%, this will be a huge ding on my portfolio. It'll knock off another fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 in value. I'll go into the red in all time. It will look really ugly, and a lot of people will say that I'm losing value and the stocks are going down and this is all a big mistake, but I look at that differently. If stock prices go down and these companies become cheaper, I'll be able to accumulate so many more shares of them at far more attractive prices. So with my investment horizon being 20 plus years, I'd actually welcome that. So of course, I don't want to lose money in the long run, and I don't think I will with my investments. But if we get a temporary sell-off due to macroeconomic events, I'll look at that as an opportunity more than a problem. Now, I know that this was a change of pace from most of my videos where I share good news and an optimistic take of the future, but I wanted to change pace and share some bad news. But keep in mind, it's only bad news if you view it that way. Most of us in the demographic of this YouTube channel are firmly in the accumulation phase. We should be buying assets right now. And if this bad news manifests that drags the market down another 25%, if you think about it enough, for the majority of us, this is actually good news. That's all for this time. I'll see you in the next one.